Hello, everybody. This week's parish is Parshas Taldes, and the parsha begins with the pasuk Ve'ele Taldes Yitzchak ben Avram, and these are the offspring of Yitzchak, the son of Avram. Avram Hoylid es Yitzchak. Avram Avinu gave birth to Yitzchak. And Rashi asked the obvious question: You just said that Yitzchak is the son of Avram, so why repeat yourself and say Avram gave birth to Yitzchak? So Rashi explains that after Yitzchak was born, some people said, wow, it's an amazing, great miracle. Avravinu at the age of 100 and his wife, Sarah, at the age of 90, they had a child. Just like God promised, it's amazing. But there were other people who were known as the late Sunday Hadar, people who didn't like to take you know, these spiritual things too seriously, they liked to crack jokes and be sarcastic and cynical. So they said, no, come on, it's a scam. Avravinu didn't give birth to Yitzchak. You know where Sarah got pregnant from? She was just by Avimelech's house. A couple months ago, Avimelech took her, and that's where she's pregnant from. The whole thing with Avram and Hashem's promise, it's made up. So, in order to combat that, HaKadosh Baruch made a miracle that Yitzchak looked identical to Avram Avinu. HaKadosh Baruch was Tzor, Klaster, Panov, Shal Yitzchak, says Rashi. HaKadosh Baruch made Yitzchak's image exactly like Avram Avinu, so it's beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was Avram Avinu's child. That's the Rashi. Now, the Bali Moser asks a question. They say, one second, what exactly are these critics saying? They're saying that, no, it wasn't Avram Avinu who got Sarah pregnant, it was Avimelech. Now, is it any less of a miracle that a woman who's 90 years old gets pregnant from Avimelech versus Avram? Is it any more statistically possible that it could happen? No. Furthermore, Avram Avinu had a kid a couple years ago from Hagar, who was named Yishmael, and later, Avinu ends up having kids. Forty years later, he has kids already. He has six more children. So statistically, it doesn't make any more sense that's Avimelech's kid than Avinu. So what's their point? Why are they more willing to believe that it's Avimelech's child than Avinu's child? The Bible must explain a very, very important thing about human nature. You see, it's not necessarily about how statistically pl- plausible how probable something is that makes us believe what we want to believe. You see, it's about the ramifications that come with believing it. You see, the uncomfortable thing about believing that Avram Avinu was the father of Yitzhak is that everything Avram Avinu has been preaching his whole life, the whole idea of living a moral lifestyle and controlling yourself and doing chesed, all those uncomfortable things, if Avram Avinu was really the father here, then they're all true. God really did promise him, and now we have to actually listen to what he says and do what he's telling us to do. So that's very uncomfortable. So we much rather believe a different version of the facts. And we don't care that it's not any more or less plausible, but it's more convenient for us. And that, said the Bali Musr, is really what makes us tick. And it's something we have to deep look inside ourselves a lot of times, is that are we believing the certain, so to speak, the real story that we find online or the cynical version of stuff, is it because it's actually more plausible? Or is it because we're just trying to avoid the consequences of believing what Akash Baruch Hu tells us to be true, and that's really what's going on behind us? Rebellious Fay writes in a, in a speech he gave around the Yom Kippur War, how, unfortunately, you know, although there was many, many, many great miracles in the Six-Day War, and different things that happened, but many, many people, instead of taking the message of seeing that Kaddish Baruch Hu is there and taking care of Klai Yisrael, Baruch Hu runs the Yidin's lives in order to struggle with Ashkach Instead of seeing that message, 
A lot of people came up with all kinds of interesting theories how the Israeli Air Force is superior because they have better tactics and the brilliant maneuvers that they come up with and the training that they have. Instead of getting the proper message, they came up with all kinds of other stories to avoid the commitment that was required from taking, from seeing the miracles that Kaj Baruch Hu does for Kai Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. And something that we always have to be careful is getting the proper message, not just the convenient message. Later in the parasha, the parasha tells us how Rivka was unfortunately in Akara. She was unable to have children. And Yitzchak and Rivka began to daven for children. They daven for many, many, many years. And the Pasuk says ultimately that Kaj Baruch Hu listened to Yitzchak's tefillah and he gave Rivka two children and gave her twins. And Rashi comments, why does the Torah speak out that Hashem specifically listened to Yitzchak's tefillah? And Rashi says because you can't compare so to speak, Kaj Baruch was much faster to listen to the prayers of a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik, of a righteous person, the son of a righteous person, versus a tzaddik who is a child of Rishayim. So that's why Yitzchak's tefillos were chosen, and Kaj Baruch listened to them. And all the Mepharshim asked the question that literally a few psukim before that, the Torah spoke out that Rivka was so impressive because although she came from a place of Rishayim, even though her father was a Russia and her brother was a Russia, she managed to be a tzaddik. And this is something which Gemara tells us all the time, is that the more difficult it is for someone to do something, the greater the reward. So how could it be that we're saying that Yitzchak, who's a tzaddik of a tzaddik, his tefillahs are something more chosen than Rivka's because she's a child of Rishayim, seemingly that's the biggest reason to say her tefillahs should be better. That's the biggest reason to say why she should be a bigger tzaddikist. So Alter Kham explains, he says, first of all, there's obviously many, many factors to defining so to who's greater. The Torah never said over here that Rivka or Yitzhak was greater. The Torah is talking about the idea of whose prayers are answered first. Now, there's different struggles that people have in life. A child of Rishayim, a child of wicked people, they have a tremendous nisayim, a tremendous struggle to overpower their surroundings and their upbringing and to fight for what's right and to become good despite everything they're taught otherwise. But Itzadik, the child of Itzadik, has his own struggle. A lot of times children of Tzadikim, they kind of say, look, you know, yes, they do everything that their parents did and they kind of follow by rope and they never bother to stop and make it real for themselves. They never look inside and try to find, okay, so why am I really doing this? And develop they don't take the time to develop their own connection with the Kaddish Baruch Hu and to make it real for themselves. And if a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik, manages to do that, if he manages to, despite the fact that it's handed to him on a silver platter and he could just copy whatever's being done before, if he manages to push himself to go deep and to develop his own connection, that is, in its own right is a very unique trait. And therefore, a Kaddish Baruch Hu is listening to Yitzhak's feelings because he has this particular aspect. He managed to not just kind of take the easy way out and pick, just keep doing what his parents have been doing. He managed to develop within himself his own tzidkus, his own righteousness, and that's what got him, so to speak, to the level where Kajbarko chose his field. And I think, the Alter does not say this explicitly, but I think the idea is that when it comes to tefillah specifically, it comes to prayer, that's kind of the hardest part. For a lot of us, tefillah begins to become something which happens by rote, happens by habit. And the ability that's necessary for a person to stop and say, no, it's not a given that I get everything I have. I have to look deep inside and appreciate that everything I get is a gift from Hashem, and I have to daven for it. 
that's a special, special, so to speak, midah that a person has to develop, and that's why Yitzhak was able to really perfect, and that's why his tefillahs were chosen. After Rivka becomes pregnant with the two children, she has this phenomenon where the children are fighting inside her, and Rashi says when she would go next to a base of Zara, a house of pagan worship, one of the children would try to get out, and then the other one would try to get out when they come to a shul, and she's very confused, and she goes and she asks Hashem, the Pasuk says. And Rashi says, who does it mean she asked Hashem? She asked in the base medrash of Shem Ve'ever. And all the Mepharshim want to know, why didn't she ask Yitzchak? Why didn't she ask Avram? She had so many great rabbis in her own house. Why did she go to somewhere else? So the morale, interestingly, explains that she was scared that they would blame it on her. They knew that she was kind of from a family of people who aren't so good. And they were scared. She was scared that they would kind of tell her it's your fault that this is happening. That's the morale says. The Nitziv says a little differently. He says that really, if you look throughout this parasha, a little bit at the end of the last parasha, he writes it at the end of parasha Kaisar, when Rivka first meets Yitzchak, and she kind of just bows down off the camel to see him, he writes that you see clearly that there was different relationships amongst the Avais and the Himais. Sarah and Avram had a very clear relationship where Sarah had no problem telling Avram that she was upset at him, about what happened by Hagar. They had a very open relationship, so to speak, very much equal peer relationship. Whereas, similarly, by Yaakov and Rachel. Rachel also tells Yaakov different complaints that she has, and there's a very, very, so to speak, equal relationship. Where it comes to Rivka and Yitzchak, it's very clear, says the Nitziv, that Yitzchak was basically viewed as some kind of extremely holy person, like a Malach Hashem almost, so to speak. He was significantly older than her. He was already a full-blown Gadol Hadar by the time she met him. And there was a certain awe that she had of him that she didn't, so to speak, speak her mind to him as much. And he says, that's actually why she also, later in the parsha, when the whole debate with how to treat Esav and Yaakov in the brachas, Rivka doesn't tell to Yitzchak that she thinks he's making a mistake and should give the brachas to Yaakov. It's a very different relationship. She has to go behind his back, so to speak, and send Yaakov in because she has a certain fear of Yitzchak. And I heard once Rabbi Shaggy Kallis, he points out, that you see from here that there's no one perfect way for a relationship between spouses. Each one of the others had their own unique relationship with their spouse, and each one was exactly right for them. It's something to keep in mind that there's no one size fits all. Every relationship has to be built on that's proper for them in their situation. Later in the parasha, once Yaakov and Esav start to grow older, the Pasuk says, V'yahav Yitzchak is Esav. Yitzchak loved Esav, Kitzayid B'piv, because he basically he brought him food, he, was, he, caught, he caught animals for him. V'rivka Yehavis is Yaakov, and Rivka loves, loved Yaakov. And they're trying to ask that, why when it comes to the reason why Yitzchak loves Esav, the Torah gives us a reason. When it comes to Rivka, loving Yaakov doesn't say a reason. And there's different opinions in the Rishonim and the Achreinim how to learn why Yitzchak specifically loved Esav. What exactly was this debate between Yitzchak and Rivka? But the Suporno explains that the Pasuk doesn't mean to say that Yitzchak loved Esav and not Yaakov, and Rivka loved Yaakov kind of, and, and not Esav. What it means to say is that everyone loved Yaakov. Yaakov was that great son. He was sitting and learning. There's nothing not to love. The Chiddush, so the novel idea here, was that Yitzchak also loved Esav. That he also gam as Esav. He also loved Esav. And that's why the Torah has to speak out specifically the reason that he loved him. Because despite Esav's 
interesting character and all the different stuff he did. He was also Tzayid Befif. He would go and get the food for the house. He was the guy going out there and catching the animals and making sure that they had supper. And the altar of Kelm speaks out that you see from here that Yitzchak had a certain, so to speak, Mila, a certain attribute which he got from, ya- from Avram Avinu, his father. Which was that Avram Avinu had the ability to makara people, to bring people close, even people who were really not good people, even people who were shy. Avram Avinu has the ma- ability to daven for Zdaim, which is a horrible place. Because Avram Avinu has an ability to see the good in people, even though there's a lot of bad. He has the ability to find that good thing inside of them. And that's what he uses to kind of build them up and try to bring them closer. And that's what's saying by Yitzchak. Yitzchak had the ability to see that amongst all of Esau's negative traits, he was side with Piv. He had this good thing when he took care of the family and he brought him the food into the house. And that was Yitzchak's ability to love Esau despite all the other issues. Just want to end off. The Parsha tells us that after the famous story when Yaakov and Esau... Esau comes home, he's hungry, he wants something to eat. Yaakov tells him, look, I'll sell you, if you sell me the Bechayr, I'll give you the, the lentil soup. And Esau makes a comment. He says, Behold, I'm going to go die anyways. Why I need the Bechayr? And the first asks that, you know, it's, there's a Gemara in Brachas. The Gemara in Brachas discusses how does a person fight his Yetzirah. And the Gemara says a person's Yetzirah takes a hold of him, his evil inclination starts telling him to do something wrong, and he's fighting and pushing back, and it's not working. The Gemara gives many different steps that a person should try to fight his evil, you know, his evil inclination. The Gemara says, bring him to the Bishmadrash, go sit and learn in the shul. The Gemara says, read Shema. And the Gemara finally says, look, if nothing's working, if a person feels, feels himself that he's, he, he really can't control his desire to sin, the last thing, says the Gemara, you should do, which is for sure going to work, is remind your Yetzirah about the fact that you're going to die. Mask your loy yom hamisa. Remind them about the day of death. Now says the Levi Yo. I don't get it. It says clearly here that Esav is specifically using the fact that he's going to die as an impetus to do something bad. He's saying, "Look, I don't need the bechayer. I'm going to be dead anyways. It makes no difference. Give me the lentils." That's supposed to be the opposite. The Torah is telling us. The Gemara tells us that death is supposed to be a thing that wakes us up and makes us realize that life's about more than that. So what happened over here? What went wrong? So, Leviel explains this, something very important. He says, how does this idea of reminding the Yitzhahara about death supposed to work anyways? What's the idea? He says as follows. What happens is, the Gemara tells us that a guy who wants to do something good, a person who really genuinely wants to do the right thing, then the Yitzhahara gets a hold of him and says, no, you got to go and do this sin. He says, no, I don't want to do this sin. It's not worth it. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so bad for me in the next world. It's going to be so this. What does the Yitzhahara tell him? Yitzhahara says, look, don't worry about the fact that you're staying up all night watching movies and you're going to miss chakras the next day and you're not going to learn properly. It's okay. You know why? Because there's always another day. Tomorrow you'll get back on track. But tonight, this movie, it's great. You still have a free subscription. Get it in now. And the Yitzhahara always pushes a person that later when he's older, when things calm down, that's when he'll work on his spiritual life. Right now, just do this one thing right now and then you'll have to do everything else later. So what the Gemara tells us, if a person who's struggling with that kind of Yitzhahara, what we tell the Yitzhahara is, no, 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 no. Life is finite. There's a certain limited amount of time. Everybody dies at some point, And if you don't get it done now, the right things, then you're stuck. That's when being masculine, reminding yourself of death works. Is if you're somebody who wants to do the right thing, it's just the Yitzhar is pushing you to, to push these things off. You tell them, no, no, no. Death means I don't have time to push stuff off. 
Esav, he checked out. He wants to get as much pleasure from this world. If you tell him he's going to die, he says, okay, i got to hurry up. i got to get as much pleasure from this world before I die. It only works if you actually care about doing the right thing. So, for ourselves, the Pirates is telling us, it all starts with wanting to do the right thing. The first step a person has to take is to decide, what do I want to get out of life? And then, after a person makes that decision, that he wants to get the right things out of life, he wants to use this world as an opportunity to build up for the next world, then he can use all the different ages, the different solutions and, and, and different, so to speak, tools that we have to push him to do the right thing. We should all be zaycha to have a wonderful Shabbos.